Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The grass withers and the flower fades. Man, you may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that have been written down by your appointed apostles, that we might be these people in this passage who have come to believe, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through their words, through what they have written down that you have revealed through them. Lord, we need your spirit to give us ears to, ears to hear and eyes to see today. Would you illuminate your word to our hearts? May it have its full work in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. And if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, uh, John chapter 17 is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus had finished all of his public ministry And he had this last supper with his disciples in the upper room where he is comforting them as he tells them he is going to be leaving. And he wants to remind them of his love and that he's going to be coming back. And then the last act before his betrayal is this prayer. After teaching his disciples everything they needed to know, he then turns to the Father in prayer. And we've broken this up into three sections. There's kind of three obvious headers if we were to break this up. Of course, none of the paragraphs or anything are original to how it was written down. But Jesus had started out by uh, praying to the Father that he would restore him to this glory. That, that the hour has come. Everything that they had been building towards, bringing redemption through Christ, is now at hand. And then last week we looked as Jesus prays for his disciples, those 11 men whom he had spent so much time with, who he had loved so dearly in his words and in his deeds. He had just washed their feet like a servant to show his great love for them. And he prays that they would be united. He prays that they would be protected because he is going to send them out just as he was sent out. And so this is all one prayer. And we come to our third section today. Now, you may have heard uh, various preachers tell you this. uh, The Bible is not about you. 
right? Oftentimes, we tend to read the scriptures. uh, If we don't have much training in Bible study, we read it through a very uh, personal lens. Some people call that narcissus instead of exegesis. Exegeting what the text is, I read myself into everything. Right, so we might read about Abraham and think, oh, I'm like Abraham. I should be like Abraham. God is going to do what he did to Abraham to me. Or we might think, like Joseph, we are going to be raised up like this great leader, Joseph. Or like Moses. Or like David, we will slay Goliath. Or Elijah, we will be a prophet. And unfortunately, too often, we think we can be like Jesus. But that is an incorrect way of seeing Scripture. Oftentimes, there is an application we can take. But those unique individuals are more categorically different than you and I. Unlike David, we are the scared Israelites watching from afar. And not like being Jesus, we are like his disciples who are constantly getting it wrong and misunderstanding and failing. And so we have to read ourselves into the Bible well. And so oftentimes I will say, the Bible is not about you. This is not about you. We need to understand the context in which this is happening. We want to understand the original audience that received it. And then once we've come to that, what did this mean to the people who received it? Well, then we can apply it to ourselves. But we have to do that work ahead and say, okay, now how does this apply to us? By the way, this is what our Tuesday night Bible study is going to be about, so there's a teaser for you. But there is one place in Scripture that is about you, and it is this place right here. That is emphatically about you, the place where Jesus prays for you and for me and for all who will believe because of the word of the apostles. Jesus, in this passage, opens with those words. Verse 20, look with me. I do not ask these things for these only, those disciples only. He just prayed for his 11 disciples. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. It brings us to our first question. Who, is, who are these people that Jesus is praying for? I've already said it's, it's you and me, but it's actually all of the people from the book of Acts on until the end of the age when Christ returns again. In our creed today, there's an allusion to the the one church. We just sang about the church's one foundation and the unity of the church. Oftentimes we say the Nicene Creed here, the one holy and apostolic church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That means there is one church rooted in the apostles, holy, sanctified, set apart by God, Catholic, universal, throughout time, in all places. This is who Jesus is praying for. He has taken these people upon his lips and his interceding as our high priest. And he asks certain things. But interesting here is that Jesus is making this connection throughout that the disciples that he has spent his life with are going to continue on the same ministry that he has. That the glory he has received, he has given to them. That the word of the Father that he has spoken to them, they will speak to us. 
so it can be considered second-hand knowledge to us in some ways. We might think it would have been better to hear it from the word, the mouth of Jesus himself, but it is the very same ministry. It is the same redemptive work. It is the appointed means. Just as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sent his apostles to spread his word. They are going to carry on his mission. They will believe through their word. Now, indeed, there were people that heard the disciples in this day and believed. We hear about that beginning in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And they hear the preaching of Peter, and they are convicted in their hearts, and they cry out, Brothers, what shall we do? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and to your children, to those who are far off. And this ministry of the word continued on for many years as the apostles lived. And it is recorded for us here in God's holy word. That is why we don't esteem this book greater than other books, merely because it's historically accurate, merely because it gives us a better life now, but because these are the very words of the apostles, those who were sent by Jesus Christ himself, empowered by his Holy Spirit, so that we might believe. If you remember, throughout our sermon series, we've been looking back to the end of John's Gospel, John chapter 20 where he tells us why he wrote this stuff down. John chapter 20, verse 30. The words that he spoke, the words that he wrote, he said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John didn't just write down some stories because it was cool. He wrote things down and handed them down to people for the very purpose that we might believe the truth about who Jesus is. And that by believing that truth, that being united to him, that the Holy Spirit would do a work that would give us new life. This is an answer to the prayer that Jesus is praying here. Every time somebody encounters the word of God and is convicted of their sin and begins to understand the glory of Jesus Christ, this prayer of Jesus is being answered. Because Jesus is not like any earthly priest. Even of the Old Testament, the high priest had limitations in what he could do. But instead, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, the one who fulfills all of the sacramental system of the Old Testament, is not only the priest, but is also the sacrifice. That it is through the sacrifice of his body, which is going to take place in just a few hours, that he comes before the Father in his presence as the priest to offer himself and make these requests. Because he is going to pay the price for them to be fulfilled. To make it possible for people to be brought into the kingdom. But Jesus prays specific things for those who are to believe. You and I and those who have come before us and those who will come 
after us. What does he ask? Well, he starts by asking that they would be one. It's similar to what he prayed for the disciples, that they wouldn't be divided, that they would be in union with each other and one. Uh, Verses 21, 22, 23 begin to show us this unity. That they may all be one, just as you, you, Father, are in me, and I in you. They also may be in us. You might wonder what that is all about. How is this possible? And to give you a frank answer, I do not know. It is impossible for us to fully grasp the depth of this unity. How are the Father and the Son united together? Right? We have creeds and doctoral statements about this. The union between the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We confessed it earlier. But that unity, the three in one between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is the same unity that Jesus prays for his disciples, for those who will believe in him, that we would be in him and he in us, that we would have the same relationship, that we would be united in such an intrinsic way that our identity could not be found in anything else. That indeed, as our assurance of pardon said today, the old has gone and the new has come. We have been transformed into a new reality that is so united to Christ that we are identified with him and he is in us. The glory that you have given to me, verse 22, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. The shared revelation, the things that the Father gave to the Son to do, the Son is giving to them. He has revealed to them. He has shown them the Father. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfectly one, so that the world may not know, may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. This transformation to being united to Christ, this categorical change of union with one another and union with God, is so radical that Jesus can say, just as you loved me, the love that the Father had for Jesus Christ is the same love he has for you. It is a bold ask, if you will, in prayer. When we think of union, there's a lot of ways we can think about the church being one. I'm certain most people, as they think about uh, the Christian church in America and around the world, we often think of it as very divided, right? We have uh, countless denominations. We have the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation and all of the things that have happened since. And so what kind of union, what kind of unity, what kind of oneness is really happening here? What can we strive for as the people of God? As Jesus is praying for us to be one, what is the oneness that he is praying for? Well, there's a a movement among some Christian circles for what is often called ecumenicism, that is uh, working together with other 
churches, regardless of our differences. And there's some well-intended and some good coalitions for those things. Uh, We pray for churches in our service every week, ones that we have a lot in common with, that we can pray for and ask that God would bless them. And we know that uh, we have differences with those churches, but it's not something where we would necessarily break fellowship with them. We don't view them as cults or teaching false doctrine. But oftentimes, in the name of ecumenicism, uh, what is often put forth is a minimalism of the things we believe. Instead of being united on the truth, we set aside the truth for the sake of unity. We can all agree that Jesus was the center, or some sort of minimal doctrinal statement. Three things. Maybe even use a word like evangelical, which of course changes rapidly over time and can mean many things to many people. And so what's unfortunate about the ecumenical movement is that it takes away the only thing that can actually give us true unity, and that is the unity that Jesus presented to us at the beginning of this prayer, that we would all be united in the word, the truth. Remember in the prayer from last week, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be sanctified in the truth. And that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would lead them into all truth. Jesus is praying that his people, those who would believe in him, would be united around the truth of his word. Not a minimization of what it might be boiled down to in a bumper sticker that we can all put on all our cars regardless of what we actually believe, but that we would believe all of the words, that we would hold all of God's word up to the standard of being authoritative, infallible, inerrant, holy, God-breathed. It is these truths, it is this word that must be the center of our oneness. But more than that, it's not just that we are centered on truth, because that is certainly true and must be in place for there to be true unity. But as we've already talked a little bit about, it is a work of God's Spirit that actually unites us. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. It is a fulfillment of this prayer that Christ would be in them. That God would dwell in his people. That we wouldn't be those who see the glory cloud from afar, like the Israelites did in the Old Testament, but instead that all your sons and daughters would prophesy. That the Holy Spirit would indwell his people in a way that Old Testament saints couldn't have imagined. The promise from Joel that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is our oneness of one spirit. That as the Holy Spirit is at work in individual believers, it would continue to bring us closer to the truth, closer to one another. But ultimately here where I'm landing next is that the oneness Jesus has in mind here has much less to do with you and me being in agreement, but much more with us being united to Jesus Christ.
This is the oneness he has in mind. It is the prayer that we would share in that same glory that Jesus received from the Father. It is the same that we would share in the love that the Father has for the Son, that the Spirit that is in work in us is a connection so deep in our soul that we are made united to Christ, transferred from sin and death to life and resurrection. Our union with Christ is the only way we will have union with one another. And this is ultimately climaxed at the end of our passage today. Jesus says in verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And in verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. This promise in verse 24 that we would be where Jesus is. It's perhaps no greater hope we can have in this life that we would be able to be where Jesus is and see his glory. That's the whole purpose of being with him. I pray that you would let them be where I am to see my glory. Brothers and sisters, we so diminish the glory of Christ as we read these words, as we try to be united to one another, as we live our lives as if we're not connected to him. But that is not the prayer of Jesus for our lives. His prayer is that we might behold his glory, that as he is in us, that as the spirit is working in our hearts, that as we are experiencing the love of God the Father, we would begin to behold his glory. And long for the moment when we will be united with him in body and soul. This is Jesus' great prayer for you. It is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would believe in him because of the words that he spoke, that his apostles proclaimed to us here in his word. And that when we believe When we trust in Christ's sacrificial death, we have forgiveness and life. That we are united to him and his Holy Spirit is making us new. May we long for the day when we will see his glory. May we ever foster in our own lives greater union with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May we look to this prayer in great comfort, knowing that Jesus Christ has said these words for you. And that when we are in times of doubt or spiritual dryness or whatever times we feel far away, we know that we are named among those whom the Father has given to him. And that he is working all these things out in our lives for his glory and our salvation. May we embrace this love, embrace this union, and rest in his great work in our lives.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is our high priest who has made a way for us to be united to you, to be forgiven. Wretched sinners made into the sons of God. It is unthinkable, Lord, and yet it's what Christ has done for us. Father, help us to overcome doubts of your love for us. Help us to overcome divisions in our minds against your word and in our lives against those who belong to you. Father, may we experience this indwelling, this union with Christ and this love of the Father. May it shape our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.